Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harris and Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door and let's chat about art, architecture, history, real estate, and more. Let's jump in. Halloween, the night when adorable little ghosts and goblins go door to door to fill their bags with candy. Or is Halloween the night when the veil thins between the world of the living and the world of the dead? Or is it both? What are the origins of this somewhat macabre holiday? Many of us seek out objects, situations, and experiences that will send the chills up our spine. We seem to crave that hit of adrenaline that courses through our veins when we jump out of our skins in fright. So why do so many of us subject ourselves to experiences that we know will scare the bejesus out of us? We're going to explore this inclination towards the unusual and unknown with Celeste, a collector of gruesome and bizarre oddities that will make the hairs on the back of your neck rise. Haunted holiday rentals? Canoodling in a crypt? Paranormal prisons? Light a candle and turn the lights down low as we dive deep into the spookiest day of the year, Halloween. Well, you might have thought Halloween was invented in North America, but Halloween actually has a long history and is celebrated in various forms around the world. For instance, the Day of the Dead. In Mexico and other Latin countries, the deceased are honored. Halloween as we know it in North America and celebrate on October 31st has Celtic roots. Historians believe that Halloween originated from the Festival of Samhain. It's a Celtic New Year's festival, the word Samhain meaning summer's end, and it refers to the end of the harvest season and the ushering in of winter. Well, that's uh, interesting. I always thought that the name of that festival was Samhain. No. Not so much. <laughs> Not Samhain. So much. Okay. I actually had to look it up, so don't feel so badly. Okay, okay. But what's neat about the festival was the fact that people believed at this time of the year, as you said in the introduction, that the that the separation of the veil by the dead world was the thinnest at this time, and it gave the greatest opportunity for the dead to come back and haunt the living if they cared to. Mm. And the biggest concern at this time as well was the fact that it gave the dead the potential to destroy the year's crop. So Ooh. they wanted to avoid this at Absolutely. all costs. Yeah, yeah. So at this festival, people wore costumes, animal skins in particular to scare off the undead and they lit fires you know when you hear this it actually you can see how the connection between halloween and this earlier festival how the connection is there so centuries later we saw that people began dressing not necessarily in those animal skins but they were started dressing in ghosts and demon outfits mm -hmm. and reciting verses performing tricks at the door in exchange for food and drink with the um, onset of christianity um in, in about 1000 a.d november 2nd became known as all souls day mm. and like halloween and like i should say the early festival of Samhain, they lit bonfires and dressed up the dressing up continued but it was a time for honoring the dead okay not and fearing the dead not necessarily fearing the dead yeah so obviously you didn't want bad souls but they were you know you were honoring good souls and the poor would visit houses of wealthier people to receive pastries called soul cakes Ooh, sounds yeah. delicious well and they did it in exchange for praying for the homeowner's dead family oh okay yeah, that's kind of win-win yeah. so it's like you know gathering your candy like we do today but originally you're probably going to wonder where the pumpkin thing started yeah right? yeah so uh back in europe in the earlier days when these festivals were being celebrated it was the root vegetables like turnips and squashes that were being used oh yeah um and it wasn't when it came to north america uh pumpkins were more plentiful more readily available so that's and a little bit bigger little than a turnip yeah a little yeah. easier to carve less skill necessarily was needed yeah to light them and carve them and light them i think i'd rather have the turnip 
on my front porch than on my dinner table. So maybe well, we could start a new Halloween tradition. How about a potato? I heard, <laughs> I heard sometimes potatoes were being used. The potato might be a little, <laughs> a little of tricky. a carving challenge. Yeah. Well, yeah, you hilarious. know, if you're interested in this sort of thing, you know, the pumpkins and the turnips, I would highly recommend you look into the story of Stingy Jack. Stingy which, Jack. Stingy Jack. Uh, there was a fellow supposedly named Stingy Jack. This is the whole story behind the jack-o'-lantern who made a deal with the devil after not wanting to pay for the devil's drink and he turned him into a silver coin oh um, cheapskate so, yeah, yeah cheap stingy <laughs> Exactly. So you can call your jack-o'-lantern Stingy Jack, um, but go take a peek, go look online and uh, look back at the backstory on that. Maybe we'll put something in the show notes so yeah, people can, exactly. uh, Good idea. can look up that story. Yeah. And if you are really want to celebrate authentically, you can plan a trip to Rothcrown, Ireland, which is the birthplace of the Sawin Festival, which has been referred to as Ireland's Gate to Hell. Have you been? Uh, no, I don't necessarily look for gates to hell for my vacation destinations but so not yet (laughs) not yet yet, walker well researchers have confirmed that this site existed and it really was a complex of 240 plus archaeological sites over four square miles wow and there's been an application made to identify rothkron as the unesco world heritage site which would allow the prefer the production of the site so it's really important yeah absolutely it's kind of hard to believe that it hasn't been designated being such a large archaeological site but as I understand it it's mostly um, still below Irish farmland so not necessarily um, all that visible as Mm -hmm. of yet so yeah that designation would be really important Um, when I was actually researching this particular site too I learned that you can actually hop a fence and enter the gate to hell where it was thought that demonic spirits uh, lived centuries ago. But I'm not really sure that's my cup of tea. I don't know why you'd want to willingly go and hang out with the demonic spirits. Really? I have no idea why not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel that Halloween to me, I don't know about you, but feels a little less commercialized knowing that there's some historical basis for things that we do on on the 31st. Mm -hmm. So... You know, the handing out of candy, it's really interesting. Originally, it was apples and nuts that before the candy was being handed out. But candy is really a 20th century occurrence. It's fairly recent. And so after the apples and nuts happened, uh, we do see the ushering in of our friend the candy corn, which is one of the earliest candies to be given out at Halloween. So are you team candy corn or not on team candy corn? I don't really get candy corn. I'm not really sure what it's meant to look like, but it's really quite the staple of Halloween, isn't it? Well, candy corn is actually a really appropriate candidate for being one of the earliest candy because it's designed to look like chicken feed. And at the time when it came out, half of all Americans were living on farms. Oh, wow. Chicken feed. Mm -hmm, A mm -hmm. tasty, tasty treat. There we go. Well, you know, chocolate was around a little later on, but it was Hershey's chocolate, I should say, as as we know it, but chocolate was very expensive. And at various times in history, sugar was as well. So Mm -hmm. the whole idea of giving out candy really did not increase in popularity until the 50s. And then it really took off in the 70s. Yeah, did it ever. Yeah, that that whole aspect of Halloween is a particular challenge for me. (laughs) I when the kids were small, I would go out and buy those, you know, those boxes of 150 little mini chocolate yeah. bars and I would you know have one while I was at my laptop and Did you start in September buying them then oh my god yeah as soon as they <laughs> as soon the as they had it you had to grocery. buy more yeah, 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 yeah I as know as soon as it was as it was on the shelves and I then I'd be totally shocked by you know October 15th when there was no candy left to go in the trick-or-treat bowl and did you play that trick with yourself where you say well if I have three it mm-hmm. doesn't even make a full chocolate bar yet 100 percent right yeah oh they're only 50 <laughs> calories each what's the big deal <laughs> meanwhile 400 candies later yeah yeah so the candy's a, a thing and a big draw for the kids and and obviously adults too but Uh, dressing up is a lot of fun yeah when I was a child it was one of my favorite parts about Halloween deciding what you wanted 
to wear was, you know, and if you could make part of your costume or make the whole costume, if you were crafty, mm-hmm. you know, this, this you was could your time. Yeah. If you weren't crafty, it wasn't so much fun, but it was definitely if you had a knack for the, for being creative. Yeah. But there's lots of psychology behind the fascination with all things Halloween. And it seems people like Halloween because it's a day when we can actually become somebody else. And that yeah. really does make sense. Try something else on for size. For sure. So if you're a really shy person, you know, this is your opportunity to dress up like Superman and be especially confident. Or if you ever wondered what it was like to be a bit of a trickster or the evil person, you could be the villain by uh, becoming the devil or Darth Vader for the day. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a day when at least a little bit of unacceptable behavior is acceptable by society on the 31st. Yeah, you can kind of push the boundaries a little bit. Uh, mm, For sure, for sure. And, you know, the whole wearing of masks and wigs and makeup a lot of people like the fact that they can be anonymous for the day too yeah yeah it's so true I want to mention here too that as things have developed from the 70s -hmm. people need to be very very conscientious about what kind of costumes Mm -hmm. uh, they're choosing and that they avoid um, any cultural appropriation you know things were very different on the streets of Halloween evening in 1975 than they are in 2022 and as they should be I think Um, just even the difference between 2000 and 2022 there's been a huge difference yeah yeah as we all become more aware and enlightened Mm -hmm. and um, sensitive to these to these issues so costumes aside I personally loved all of that the haunted houses and the spooky decorations but my kids so I was like gung-ho Halloween when my kids were small they were dressed up when they were like three months old we were going out you know but but they did not love the the spooky, spooky decorations and the scary aspect mm-hmm. of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Well, at least some of my kids. And my eldest, who has cleared me to share this with you, like he's still, he's in, you know, double digits over 20 and he still cannot watch a scary movie. He wouldn't sleep for weeks. But then my youngest kid, who was also terrified of everything creepy when he was a child, now has a horror streaming service. So <laughs> it's, I don't know, I can't really figure it out. I didn't even know there was a horror streaming service. I know, now this you is know. A first for me. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> it has all these crazy movies from around the world. And I have to say, Korean horror films, hands down. So the good. Best. So good. Well, there's so many good ones okay. from all around the world, but like, yeah, they're super, they're super up there. But so there must be some kind of positive aspect to being frightened if, you know, we're subjecting Why ourselves we're to all this, to, right? Drawn to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Or at least some people are. Yeah. Well, psychologists say that we experience a rush of adrenaline. It's uh, the release of endorphins and dopamine. And essentially, humans get this high from the adrenaline rush, which explains our attraction to fear. Oh. Yeah. And it may be it may be that some people are interested in the fear of the unknown of Halloween as well. The fear of death. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know a lot about that as well. So mm-hmm. there's the spookiness associated with it. And the neat thing about Halloween is that it's a controlled fear. Yeah, right? there's no you know it's, risk. There's going to be an end to it. Yeah, exactly. You're not actually being chased by and an axe murderer. it's the same with the horror films. You yes. You know, after your 90 minutes or whatever, there will be an end to it. Yeah, yeah. So are you somebody who gets scared by spooky things or are you hard to scare? I love all things spooky and... I don't know. I think I'm much more of a thriller fan Mm. than I am of a slasher Mm -hmm. fan. But I do get scared and I love it. Where we live, actually, Walker, there's a castle Mm -hmm. and they operate this Halloween event every year, which is, it's unbelievable. It's super intense. They have... Um, like live actors all dressed up in costume that like chase you around the grounds and it's both indoors and outdoors in the castle it's it's amazing it's a fully immersive experience anyway my kids love me to go with them because I'm like the star event because they love seeing me scream and (laughs) (laughs) run run from all of these things they're a little disappointed this year because I'm not oh you're not going no are you gonna go uh, I looked into getting tickets. I haven't yet purchased them. Uh, I have to get one of my children to commit. Yes. So. It, it, it's definitely worth it, but don't, like my eldest, like I said, too sensey. He's never been, yeah. never will go. Mm-hmm. He, it would just be, 
it would be a nightmare. I love Halloween. I would say that it's my second favorite holiday after Christmas, but I'm a bit of a lightweight for sure in terms of the whole scare threshold. I could do with a little less gore in terms of the decorations people put out. Yeah. Yeah. And Halloween, you know, it's gotten a lot more graphic over the years. Yeah. I was just <laughs> out walking and I literally, and it was the middle of the day, yeah. and I was spooked by this zombie... <laughs> little girl with she was handing out some crazy Ugh. like a figurine on the side of the road I was terrified yeah well pictures of a happy pumpkins and black cats with arched backs they're not so common anymore yeah it's not so g-rated anymore no. does your family have a Halloween tradition that you continue well we used to do all the you know the standard trick-or-treating around mm-hmm. the neighborhood and uh we did it with a little bit of class because one of our friends, we would go out as a group with a bunch of families and she would bring a wagon full of wine. And so the kids would go all helter skelter running all over the place. Halloween and roadies. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> We'd just, you know, have a like civilized wine and uh, conversation while our kids went crazy collecting candy. Uh, but now the kids, they're mostly on their own doing their own thing. Like they're going to that event experience at that castle I mentioned Mm -hmm. Uh, but my daughter was talking to me about she said oh yeah you know me and my boyfriend were gonna do a couple's costume this year and I had suggested bacon and eggs and were we bacon and eggs I can't remember if we were bacon and eggs or peanut butter and jelly oh I I, think we were peanut butter and jelly I think we were peanut butter and jelly. Uh, So I'd suggested that to her. And she's like, no, no, we're going to go. I'm going to be Sandy. My boyfriend's going to be Danny Zuko. And I was, it was such a proud moment, Walker, (laughs) because you know, I'm a massive. (laughs) Flashback to the 70s. Massive Grease fan. (laughs) And I just want to say, RIP, Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. Hopelessly devoted. Okay. All right. Moving on. Well, you know, our tradition in our house, obviously, is to carve the pumpkin and roast the seeds. That's a big thing for me. But it really starts the night before with Devil's Night, aka Devil's Night. We always read this book. I don't know if I can get my grown kids to listen to me this year, but it was my all-time favorite book as a child called The Pumpkin Smasher by Anita Bernard. Ah. I highly recommend you look it up. You can get copies of it. It's no longer printed, but you can find uh, copies online still. And if you read the reviews, they say it's fabulous. So ah. it's a nice little retro book to read. Cool. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it, but maybe we can track it down a little bit and put it in the show notes for oh, our for listeners. for sure. That would be fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of those who have a fascination with scary, we are so honored today to be speaking with a lifelong fan of the spooky and collector of oddities. Located in Toronto, Canada, Celeste's interest in collecting the strange, weird, and even bizarre has taken her around the world to spooky destinations in search of the obscure. Hi, Celeste. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Hi, Celeste. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your fascination with collecting all things odd. Maybe where it began, how it began. Yeah, well, um, it started with my parents. Uh, They were avid collectors my entire life. So I was pretty much brought up going to antique markets and constantly on the move looking at things. And I was a very curious child. So I would always ask what things were. And my parents were very open with, the dialogue and communicating with us and telling us things. And they knew that if we felt uncomfortable with it, we would be able to tell them that we felt uncomfortable. Right. Um, so it was always nice to have them like teaching us new things and showing us all these new interesting things that like a lot of my friends didn't know because their parents didn't bring them antiquing. Like my house is all vintage, like everything's vintage and they've been collectors forever. Um, so it started there. And then my family, they had a lot of interesting friends. So like one guy that used to come over, he was a sword swallower. So we would have like these nights where this guy would come over and there would be a sword in his mouth. And we're like, oh, that's that's incredible. That's amazing. That's incredible. I don't think I've ever met a sword swallower. Yeah. He actually ended up owning um, a museum, an oddities museum in uh, the States a while after he had like stopped talking to me and my family um, because he had moved. Um, but he actually used to work for the medieval festival. I don't know if you guys remember that, but we used to have a medieval festival. It's not medieval times, but there I was worked a festival. at medieval times. <laughs> yeah, by Celeste. Yeah, for two <laughs> weeks. But that's that's for another. <laughs> that's, an, that's for another story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for off camera. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, so he used to work at the medieval festival and we would be sitting in the crowds and everybody would be dressed up. So it really started stimulating my brain on, you know, it's not just like school and work and, you know, soccer or home. Um, there were other things that would be very interesting in life that would be that are you couldn't be open to experience so it started off with that and then we would go traveling so we would go to Europe a lot um and my mom like brought us to the capuchin uh catacombs and I was just like this is fantastic and death was never portrayed to us as a scary thing so we were we never were afraid of it it was more like this is what happens like there's black and white and we all end up here but it's nothing to be scared of I love Um, that we yeah, really so, need to normalize it in 100%. our society, right? We just, yeah. it's, it shouldn't be something that we're so terrified of. So I love that. That's, yeah, especially as a young ch- child, because like, you don't know, I guess there's always a fear of like, well, what happens next? Like, where are we going? That was definitely a fear for me when I was a child. I'm like, so when we die, is it just black? <laughs> like, is that yeah. it? Yeah. Like, so my, it was very reassuring for us to kind of see that side of life mm-hmm. with life comes death. And, you know, they would always bring us to like the cemeteries in Italy and let us explore and they would just let us free in the cemetery. They're like, as long as you're respectful, mm-hmm. and you can go and look around, but just know that there are people here and we're respecting the dead and we're respecting their families and don't go and cause a ruckus. And I used to go and I would get the flowers off of the floor and put them back in their little containers. And that's what I'd walk around the cemetery and do that. But yeah, that's how it all kind of started. And then, um, <laughs> I was able to start buying my own stuff and starting to collect my own little things. So I branched out and I did the more odd side of collecting. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little something, a little bit about maybe your favorite piece in the collection or one of your top favorites? I have one favorite. I actually just acquired it maybe like a year ago. And it's a giant, I'd say 15 foot banner, Barnum and Bailey banner. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. It's from um, the 1900s and it's a uh, double-sided, it's all hand-stitched and they would basically put it at the top of the, the tent, the circus right. tent. Right. So it would be the thing that would draw everybody to the circus. Right. Um, and I've always been fascinated with circus. And How did you get your hands on that? an auction (laughs) and it was my first auction and I was so excited and then I realized that there was a lot more that went with auctions like the auction pricing and (laughs) all that (laughs) yeah definitely yeah that's very cool so a lot of the things that we've talked you know touched upon death and visiting cemeteries and that sort of stuff so do some of the objects in your collection have a history even like sort of a shadowy or dark history and if so, how do you avoid bringing some of that energy back into your own home? Um, I would say a lot of things that I own could potentially have the the ability to bring some kind of energy back, but I don't mess around with very many things that are like, I don't do like, I don't collect voodoo occult things. I don't collect like Ouija boards. And that's fine if you do, like if you feel comfortable with doing that, I completely think that you should. But personally, I don't. I I have a very good um, judge of energy. Um, and I get that from my mom because she's the same way. So even if I, I don't know and I can't feel something out, I'll be like, mom, hold this. So I'll give them to her and she'll look at me. I'm like, do you feel anything? <laughs> and she's like, no, what am I supposed to feel? I'm like, perfect. I'll buy it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Has she ever felt anything? Something that you wanted to buy that you've turned it away because of that? No, but there was one thing that I brought into the house. And right the second I walked in the door, I'm like, I bought something. She's like, I feel that you did. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was like, what was okay. it? it was uh, something okay. <laughs> of, of a personal effect of someone. I see. Um, yeah. So, but she said it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad energy. It was more of a sad energy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But that faded over time. Like, I don't think she feels that way. Anyway. I had still in the house. So. Oh, is it? Okay. So yeah. it just kind of left all of that energy sort of dissipated and left and you could. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think, you know, in a good environment, all of these things have the potential of going from a bad energy because you don't know the past of these objects, right? Yeah. So they could have been in several bad homes or bad situations or have collected a bad energy over time. Yeah, wherever but, they are. It may not exactly. be their origins, but maybe just a yeah. situation that they've found themselves in. Yeah, exactly. And then once in a good situation, that 
energy is allowed to dissipate and kind of become a positive energy or a good energy or even potentially move on from the object that they're in. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so cool. It's like yeah. there's a sort of a, an extra benefit to, yeah. to your collection and, you know, potentially moving spirits or spiritual attachments or yeah. energy forward. Mm-hmm. Super, super cool. So I'm also a fan of visiting cemeteries. In fact, I go into my local cemetery almost every day, but around the world too. Yes. They just have such a vibe and there's so much history, right? Mm, that you yeah. can, you know, see what was going on in centuries gone by. So that's that's kind of fun. Have you ever um, experienced, maybe not necessarily in a cemetery, but elsewhere, anything paranormal or something that's a little ghosty? Um, I have in my own personal life. When I was in, I wouldn't say in cemeteries, I've been to cemeteries all over the world and I've seen some really weird things, but nothing paranormal in a sense. I've gotten really weird vibes from places like uh, the cemetery in London. Um, Highgate Cemetery. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Highgate (laughs) Cemetery. Yes. So crazy. Yeah. I got some really spooktacular vibes from there. I was with my partner at the time and we were walking and I'm like, I feel really uncomfortable here and I don't know why. And we were just walking. I wasn't even looking at the tombstones. I was just kind of walking. He's like, well, why do you feel that way? And I'm like, I don't know. Like my energies are saying that it's, I just feel uncomfortable here. And I don't know why. And I can't shake it. And then I started looking at the tombstones and we were in the child section and they were all children. Wow. And I think maybe being a person who works with children as my career, um, it was just a very somber, like I just felt sad. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm feeling sad. I just feel uncomfortable and sad. And I just feel like I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Um, And then he's like, let's just walk. Maybe you're just feeling anxious or whatever. And so I started reading the tombstones. I'm like, you realize that these are all children, right? Like we're surrounded by children right now it's it's quite the place it's quite the place even the way that the trees kind of grow over the tombstones I'm like how is this even possible no I was telling um Walker over there when she was in London recently that she should go Mm -hmm. uh, but she's gonna have to find time on her next visit because she was a bit on a whirlwind but it is definitely a must do yeah 100% at all interested in in even in history, but in, in anything sort of related to, um, you know, death practices or, or cemeteries or anything, anything like that. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's definitely a sight to see. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a private section as well that like, obviously the public isn't able to see. Yeah. But but from what I could see over the gate, it's beautiful. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I learned something new today. Even I would say the Cologne Cemetery has some kind of spooky vibes too. I don't know if you've uh, Cologne, Germany. No, I've never been. So there's um, there's a cemetery there called uh, the Malatin. I'm probably butchering the naming of it. The Malatin Cemetery. And before it became a cemetery, it was actually used as like a grounds of living for people with leprosy. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of them ended up being buried in that cemetery. So it's oddly very calm in that cemetery and beautiful. And the the headstones are gorgeous. Um, but just the the fact that you know that that was yeah, uh, like the home of people with leprosy where they should have been treated with so much more respect than you know, know. the cemetery is now your home. I found out from a local that was there that was just in the cemetery. And I guess they knew that we weren't from around there. And so she kind of just walked through the the cemetery with us and told us the history and was showing us headstone. She was such a lovely woman because we were looking for a specific stone. And it was of a little boy named Martin, but he had this, he has this giant statue of death on his on his grave. And I wonder if I've strange. seen a picture of that. I feel probably like it, it's kind it's of ringing a bell. Is it? Okay. Yeah. He has, he, it's like death that. with a cloak and he has like a, his scythe. Yeah. And he's actually, he's the grave digger's son. Yeah. yeah. He, one of the first grave digger's sons mm-hmm. got killed and was buried on the property. And I guess they put up this ginormous stone to him, Memorial which is great. It's fantastic. Oh, wow. But, that is such a cool story. I love yeah, that story. Yeah, that story. it was great. So I'd say those are the only two places where I felt any kind of like weirdness, I'd say. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And in my own life, I've with my own family, like that my grandfather passed away. And at one point I like the night before he passed away, I dreamed of him. Uh, really yeah I dreamed of him that's really a common no I shouldn't say common but it it, it's a well documented experience 100% and we had this like great adventure in my dream and it was our last like hurrah together and then like I woke up and my mom called me she's like your grandfather passed away and I was like yeah it was like and other times I've had experiences where my me and my uh my grandmother um we used to go to the superstore every Wednesday and that was our thing we'd go to superstore I'd help her grocery shop and then we'd have lunch and the week after I she passed away I went to the superstore and I swear I was walking down an aisle and I just got hit with her smell like her smell just like washed over me yeah and I was like what the heck is that and I even turned around to try and go through it. Cause you know, when you're going yeah. through an aisle, maybe somebody left some detergent or something and it was gone. The smell was completely gone. Oh, so that was totally her. Yeah. And I was like, what in the world was that? So, wow. so is there something, I, I know you have this extensive collection. There's got to be something that you'd love to add to your collection. Is there something that has been on your radar that you'd like to acquire? Like I said, I'm really into like circus things. So it's one of those things where when you see it, you know, you have to have it. (laughs) And then it's like, I need that in my collection. But until you see it, you don't, there's so many things out there you could potentially own or have. I know in our conversations, you have some items and I forgot the technical term for it, where they are the mementos or art that's been created out of people's hair, right? Yeah, the the memento mores, yeah. Is there something specific when you've acquired those ones? I mean, there must be large examples of those small ones or more complicated versions of them. They can go from the simplest, like little woven, well, not not simple, but the little woven rings to all the way to like full on, like a Christmas wreath made out of hair. Right. So that's a lot of hair, Celeste. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is it all yeah. from one person? Or- um, that kind of size, usually you'll find different people. It'll be like a whole family. Right. Okay. Um, so it'll be made for like a family. And it doesn't necessarily mean that all those family members have died. It's just something that you want to m- remember everybody after everybody's passed away. Right. Oh, interesting. Um, family album. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I have one that's um, from a nun. I, it was just a, a practice of the time and anybody could have gotten it done, I guess, depending on how much money you had. Right. Um, right. Was it something more for the upper classes who could afford to have these memento mores created or? Yeah. Cause yeah. you have to pay for somebody to do it unless you knew how to do it yourself, which was great, but it took a lot of skill to be okay. able to grab all those little hairs and make little flowers and rosettes and Oh my gosh. I want to put pictures of your, these, uh, a part of your collection on our Instagram and show notes. Maybe we can show our listeners a little bit of what uh, we collect in terms of those. Cause that's really interesting. Yeah. I even have some, like they used to make full sceneries even like I have mm -hmm. like a little tombstone with a little tree on it and it's all Mm -hmm. made out of little snippets of hair. It was fantastic. I don't know. That is so crazy because it's just something that at least in North American culture and Western culture, we don't do today. Yeah. You can, right? I don't know if our, if your listeners are in Toronto or Canada, but in um, Pioneer Village. Oh, there Pioneer Village. Oh, yeah. Yes. Pioneer Village. So they actually have an incredible selection of them. Pioneer oh, Village. No kidding. Yeah. It's fantastic. I went to one of their um, nights where they show you around all the old homes Yeah, and their walls were littered with them. Oh, maybe there. that's why I get a spooky vibe there. I was very jealous. Um, (laughs) Sounds like you've got quite an extensive collection. The ones that you do have sound quite lovely. Yeah, yeah, I do have a few. They're they're hard to get your hands on for a a decent price because they do get pricey because of the work that was put into it and because not everybody could afford to do it, right? Yeah, and they've got, I mean, I don't know how well they stand the test of time, but there can't be that many that are in decent shape still around. Because when were they popular in the 1800s? Yeah, it would be the 1800s. Yeah, they were mostly popular. More Victorian kind of situation. Right, right. I would say maybe into the, oh gosh, it would probably stop by 1920. Oh, okay. Even as late as that though. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of places like Cologne and London and that you traveled a lot around Europe. Is there a spooky place that still tops your list that you haven't been to that you'd like to explore? There is. I would love to go to Trunyan Cemetery. 
probably Where's butchering that? that as well. <laughs> um, but it's in Indonesia. Okay. Um, it's a cemetery that they actually bury their dead above ground. Okay. Um, in little little kind of huts. And they oh. bury them, yeah, and they bury them uh, like surrounded by bamboo, but they usually bury them underneath a secret tree. And the sacred tree actually gives off a smell that covers the decomposition smell. Then like on even on the walkway up, they take obviously the decomposed uh, bodies and their, their skulls and body parts, and they put them on the walls, their skulls and bones to like kind of ordain the way to that resting place. Is this like a smaller community? Is it like a village or... Yeah, it's a little, yeah, it's a little village, but it's, you, you don't, you have to take a boat and a train and a, like a, you have to do a million different things to get there. And I was going to go last time I was in Indonesia, but they had the massive flood. So I wasn't able to get over there, but still on my bucket list, still okay. on my bucket list to go. You're going to have yeah. to let us know when you actually make it. Maybe I'll yeah. go with you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know what? A friend of mine has gone before and he's actually the one who recommended it. And he said, it's fantastic. Like you would think that it would be like kind of gross and weird because like they're, these are bodies decomposing outside, but it's the most natural way for them to dispose of their, their loved ones and their bodies. Loved ones. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's sort of in line with, you know, all, I don't know if anybody follows this out there, but it, the whole argument for green burial, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, like much more of a natural yeah. ritual and experience. Yeah. And even in Thailand, they bury their dead in their, in the trees. So oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Yes. You think it is weird the way that these people bury their dead, but it's just different. Right. So, and, yeah. but here it seems so obscure and weird and bizarre, but it's their norm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would be a little bit off put if I was walking down <laughs> Young Street and, you know, my and there was a cork on the floor. Was, yeah. Might be a little, uh, or in the tree disturbing. <laughs> yeah. But you know, see the, the thing is, is like, I'm sure if they had come over here and they saw us burying our dead with in coffins, they'd be, where are you going to put that? <laughs> I know. And they're so expensive too. And all you're doing is putting it in the ground. Hey, Costco sells coffins. So oh my gosh. Out there. <laughs> who knew I had Costco no idea. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't know until a few years ago. I'm like, wow, these are incredible thousand dollars for a coffin. Sure. Why not? Coffee table. <laughs> I have to ask you how you're going to be spending Halloween this year. Uh, you know, I spend this, I, it's not that it's boring, but it's the same thing every single year. I spend it with my family at my house because we have a very unique looking house. So we get a lot of kids every single year. I'd say we get about 400 kids. So we're going to be doing that. We all dress up and we kind of have like a little monster mash over here and we all party together. That I love that. Well, now you can add uh, listening to this podcast episode is to one of your you know, activities on Halloween. This I week. definitely will. I'll put it on the main radio up every year and we'll all listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Celeste. We're so grateful. Thank you for having um, me. Maybe it. we'll be able to talk to you again. Yes, definitely. I will be willing to come and talk to you guys. I'm sure that you have inspired a huge following of new oddity collectors out there. Oh, I hope so. It's okay to be weird. Be weird. <laughs> it's okay to be weird. That is the message. Yes. I love it. Don't I be love scared. it. Just be weird. I can get right <laughs> behind that, Celeste. Let me tell you. Thank you so much, Celeste, for joining us. I'm sure you've inspired a huge following of new oddity collectors out there. If you want to follow Celeste, you can find her on Instagram at, at skulls and unicorns. And skulls has a Z and unicorns ends in a Z. Again, we'll put her uh, Instagram handle in the notes as yeah, well. Sounds good. Wow, Celeste has had some really interesting experiences, but, 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 I know you, Harris, have had some spooky ghost stories as well, don't you? You feel like sharing one today? Yeah, I actually have quite a few ghost stories, shockingly. I don't, I don't really they... have any, so. Do you have none? No. I, I, had a, I had a bad energy experience once, but. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it. I've had some like, like even one of our old houses was haunted. Oh. But I'll share with you one of the scariest okay. ghost stories. I hope it comes across well, because, you know, you got to live it to feel it. But Hopefully our lights don't flicker. Oh my gosh. Don't even say that. Why are you saying <laughs> that? Like, I'm already afraid. I don't even really like talking about it because it does creep me out. But I'll tell you the story. Okay. It was 
I can't remember what year it was, probably 2005, and we were taking a family holiday to uh, Nerja, Spain, which is on the Costa del Sol, so down in the south. And uh, I had two kids at the time. Uh, They were really wee, like age two and three, and I was pregnant with my third. And we had rented this home, and it was kind of two homes connected by a really high-walled courtyard Mm -hmm. down situated in a valley, like right in the bottom bottom of a valley surrounded by lemon trees and olive groves and a little creek that went by it was gorgeous like yeah, you're setting a scene there it yeah lovely it was gorgeous it was all whitewashed walls with those terracotta mm-hmm. tiles and you know very very classic Spain and it had like this outdoor area it was all terracotta tiled with an outdoor kitchen and was covered and it had a big pool so it was just like we arrived and thought oh this is bliss we rented it for three weeks. We're going to be hanging out here and have a nice family time. And my husband's uh, parents were coming for a little while to okay. stay with us, which is why we rented a property that had two living right. spaces, two houses. And so, yeah, we were really, really happy we moved in. And on the first night, we were sleeping. And in the middle of the night, it was so dark. It was so, so dark. I opened my eyes to this massive noise outside and it sounded like like really, 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 really loud, violent banging. Hmm. And my husband and I went downstairs. And on the exterior of the home, it had these huge metallic shutters like they do on older homes right. in Europe. And they were literally like floor to ceiling. They were massive green shutters, I remember. And we went outside thinking that this was what was causing the, the noise, banging shutters. But yeah. we went outside. There was no wind. It was oh. super still inky inky black night and the shutters were pinned tied to the wall and not moving and so we were like wow that's weird so we went back inside and went to bed and thought okay well who knows what that was but we're you know we had just arrived we were jet lagged we had no real idea what was what was what so you're not thinking odd things at this point not thinking odd things anything negative going on no not thinking anything at all and then uh, we went to bed, we got up the next day, went grocery shopping, did our thing, uh, had a nice day, went to bed again. And the following night, we were woken up around the same time of night, right in the middle of the night, like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, to this really loud, high-pitched sound that sounded like something electrical and it was outside it wasn't inside so it wasn't like a smoke alarm or fire alarm or carbon monoxide alarm or anything like that that's what you needed big scary sound yeah outside yeah in pitch black yeah not knowing what's coming at you yeah (laughs) and it was rural too like there's nobody around we didn't have any Mm -hmm. neighbors we're just down in this bottom of this valley and so again my husband and I get up. We go downstairs. We're like, is there something we need to turn off? Do we need to call the rental agency? Like, what on earth is going on? Mm-hmm. And as soon as we got downstairs, you could still hear it. And then it abruptly stopped. And so we were like, okay, well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Right. Back to bed. During all of this, the kids never woke up. Oh, They were sound asleep in their little room. And their little room, their door faced the door to the walled courtyard that was between the houses, which I will touch back on a little bit later. Anyway, so then, you know, the holiday went on. A couple of days later, my in-laws arrived. Mm -hmm. And in their house was the laundry machine. So I had been in their house just to open it up and to do laundry. And the courtyard leading into their house and that laundry area just had bad vibes, really bad vibes. I was always anxious just to get in and out of there, which is weird because the first night that they stayed there, the next morning, my mother-in-law comes down to the kitchen. I was doing dishes and she says, Heather, why were you in our house at you know, in the middle of the night doing your laundry. And I said, I wasn't. I was in my bed. And she said, no, no. I heard you and Greg at the laundering machines talking and the laundering machine was on. You turned it on. I said, no, I wasn't there. So I went to go check the laundry machine after this conversation. And I was feeling a bit weirded out already. For sure. So I open up the washer and I'd had some things in there and they were all whites. I remember like sheets or something. I don't know what. 
And I pull it out and it's all stained like these huge, rusty, orangey red, massive, dark stains all throughout all of this laundry. Okay. And I was like, at first I thought, well, there's something wrong with the washing machine. Yeah. And maybe it's a rusty drum and it got rust all over my clothes or whatever those things were. But it sounds like there was a lot of those stains. Like Like a lot. Yeah. Just a little bit here and there. Yeah. And the other question is, how did that washing machine turn on? Why did my mother-in-law hear voices when it went on? That's a lot going on. There's a lot of weird situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I tried to block it out. Went to the store, got stain remover, washed it all again. Everything was fine. No rusty stains on anything else from that moment on, on any of our laundry and just sort of continued on the holiday. And the next thing that happened was my father-in-law came over to our, where we were having dinner outside Mm -hmm. in that covered area I told you about. And he's like, the weirdest thing just happened. And we said, what? He said, well, I was shaving in our bathroom in our house and he had looked behind him to the hallway outside the bathroom and he saw the light switch physically switch off and the lights went off. Like he saw the actual mechanism of the light switch move and the light went off. Energy conscious spirit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, taking my, care of the energy I bill. flip. Right? Literally so, flip. I yeah, would. I know. Right? Oh my God, you are so <laughs> funny. But... We, I don't know if we really believed him at the time, but things were like, you know, starting to build. And I was starting to become more and more uncomfortable in this yeah. house. Yeah, well, it's right? accumulative, right? So at this point, you're all these things are adding up. Yeah. And now you're feeling uneasy. Now I'm feeling uneasy. So the next thing that happened was we were sleeping again, middle of the night. My in-laws had left. And so it was just on our own. I had locked up that other house except to do laundry. And we were woken up in the middle of the night again, but this time the noise was like somebody was dragging a creaking wagon around just our room. And our room was on a second story, sort of kind of on its own. And there was no way anything could be up there because it was on the second story. Did it it sound like the sound was in your room going around the circumference of your room or outside, outside. the windows and walls? Okay, yeah. so outside. outside the perimeter of the upper level where your yeah. room was. Yeah, so of course we raced to the windows, right. couldn't see a thing, it was pitch black. And at this point, I'm scared now because we could, we're standing there looking out the windows and we can't explain you. the sound. Yeah, and it's surrounding our room. So I ran down the stairs woke up my little kids dragged their mattresses upstairs into our room and like closed the door and locked the windows and tried to hunker down and go to sleep for the rest of the night I was scared the next day I said to my husband I'm like I'm really feeling uncomfortable in this home I don't know what's going on he said well let's just go to the beach we're just gonna go to the beach and have a nice day at the beach it's gonna be fine (laughs) I said okay fine so I do the laundry I'm always doing the laundry. Yeah. Walker, I'm like I always your doing vacation. the laundry. What is going on with that? <laughs> anyway, if you stay in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And true. True. And there is no laundry facility. I know. I know. We're always forever <laughs> renting places. But um, so I do the laundry and I hang it all up on the clothesline, which actually runs in the walled courtyard. Okay. And just to set the scene a little bit here, these walls are literally... 10 to 12 feet high. Mm. The sun bakes this little courtyard. Mm-hmm. No wind gets in and out. It's, and it's contained on either side by both houses. So it's like a little, really, really contained hallway okay. outdoors. And I thought, okay, before we go to the beach, I'm going to clean up because the in-laws had just left. So I swept it. I mopped the tiles. I put tidy everything into the corner, like all the brooms and buckets and that kind of thing. And hung up all my laundry mm. tidily and left, locked the door. We went to the beach. We come back. I'm like, okay, the laundry's going to have dried. You know, let's attend to some of these kind of house things. Right. And I open the door, the one that was right across from my kid's bedroom to the oh. courtyard. And it was, I have never felt so scared in my entire life. The scene was destruction. It was violence. It was anger. There was stuff 
everywhere. Like my clothes were flung on the top of the wall. There were there was broom. Anything that could be thrown was thrown. It was all haphazard. Really? It was all over the place. And it was a huge court. Like it was a big courtyard. I would say probably, you know, 20 by 10, if wow. not more. Like a little tornado had yeah, been Yeah, it was like a little tornado. So I freaked. I freaked. I just immediately pulled everything out of there. I don't even think I tidied it up. Packed all of our stuff. We got in the car. We dropped the keys off at the rental agency. And this was like one full week earlier than than we had to leave. We just left. And oh that was it. And we just kind of made the best of the rest of the holiday. Imagine. Can you believe it? It was terrifying. I don't know if that sounds super scary. Oh. But it was I can't even imagine. super, super scary. So did you did you find out anything about this place at all? Well, no, I didn't actually tell the rental agency because maybe I was a little bit ashamed or embarrassed about it. I because it's hard oh. to convince somebody that, you know, you've been a victim of a poltergeist or something. Right. But what I did learn about mm-hmm. this area is that it was a, an ancient battlefield. So definitely there was a lot of blood spilt on this ground and obviously yeah. some very, very, very unhappy spirits yeah, left behind. Yeah, some violent history yeah. was happening. Well, I have to say that knowing me, I think I would have been out of there when I heard the shutters rattling. Yeah. I would not have been sticking around for the voices. Yeah. Yeah. Awfully, awfully scary. So after this experience, can you imagine ever choosing to purposely seek out a haunted location? Definitely not. Well, there's plenty of travel destinations that appeal to tourists seeking out the haunted and scary a few years ago, Wanderlust Travel Magazine rated the top 20 most haunted places to visit in the world. And I thought you might be interested in hearing about three of them. Okay. Sure Ones I won't go to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first is in Dragschumslot in Denmark. And it, it was a castle. And it's one of the oldest castles in Denmark. It was built in 1215. And it's possibly one of the most haunted European castles, despite the fact that it's a luxury hotel now. Said to have over 100 ghosts, including what they refer to as the White Lady, whose skeleton was found encased in a wall in 1930 there. Ooh, that's not mm. a nice discovery. Mm-mm. I would imagine that a lot of castles are haunted just purely because of all the lives that have passed through those right. doors and uh, and also they were often strongholds yeah. right so they would have seen battle and war and, yeah, and probably a lot ugly, of death for sure yeah for sure the second one is called the separate prison and it's in port arthur tasmania and it once held british prisoners there until the 1800s there at this prison they had what is called the silent system in which prisoners wore hoods and were required to be silent while they were there and they were kept in solitary confinement Ooh. and they have supposedly thousands of inmates that have been buried in unmarked graves around the prison it's not surprising um, when you hear that there are supposed to be hundreds of ghosts that inhabit the prison there prisons are always spooky right like yeah. they they're just hotbeds of negative energy anyway even with exactly. the living like let alone the dead exactly it reminds me we visited this cool little place in Scotland called Inverary and they had a old jail there that you could tour it was an amazing stop and the the guides were amazing um but it definitely had the hairs on the back of my neck up and Mm -hmm. it was interesting because when I was researching this episode I discovered that a lot of visitors to that particular jail had uh, the same kinds of uneasy vibes right. and even seeing seeing things here okay. and there so it's been a, the subject of a lot of paranormal investigations recently huh. yeah who knew hmm, who knew so the third and final on the list of places to go is actually in venice and it's Povelia Island in the Venice Lagoon. It could actually top the list of the scariest places. Even locals aren't keen on going there. Apparently during the 14th century, Venetians with the bubonic plague were sent there to die and eventually be burned there. And later on in the 1800s, it was the site of a cruel mental asylum. Some of the locals say that you can hear voices there, screams uh, from the island, and shadowy figures can be seen. Some of the locals don't even want to go there yeah Uh, tourists are not supposed to go there 
And I found out that it was interesting to read that some of the locals won't even fish in the area because there is some concern that they might bring up some human remains when, they, uh, when they're fishing in the surrounding waters. Yikes. That mm-hmm. is not what you want to put on your dinner plate uh, after fishing. <laughs> That's cool. I've never heard of that mm-hmm. island. I would love to, to go to a place like that, though, but it doesn't sound like it has uh, public access. No. So there are thrill-seeking tourists out there, um, and they don't necessarily necessarily limit themselves to just going to tourist sites either. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a growing demand apparently for haunted accommodations. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I have no idea why you would want a haunted accommodation. Let me just say right now that I'm not one of those people. I like to hear about these places, but I don't necessarily want to spend the night in one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Me too. I mean, it's so interesting, right? I love this. Oh, for sure. And and I think a lot of people find it of interest as well. In Mm -hmm. 2015, there was a contest where two lucky winners won the opportunity to spend the night in the Paris catacombs. Oh, yes. So lucky. I know. Crazy, right? Yeah. Would you enter a contest to spend the night with the remains of six million bodies? Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. You wouldn't catch me dead doing that. And again, oh, I apologize. God. I will Honey. stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> uh, so this is the backstory on this contest. So the city of Paris rented the catacombs to Airbnb, who chose two individuals and treated them to an overnight stay in the catacombs. There was scary stories about the catacombs. And then the night after, the morning after, I should say, there was breakfast for the lucky winners. And for those of you who may be unfamiliar with the catacombs, it's about a kilometer and a half of underground tunnels underneath the city of Paris. At one point in history, there was some concerns that there wasn't enough room to bury the dead in Paris. Right. And that it might have been a health concern. So some of the bodies, many of the bodies, were brought to the catacombs to these underground tunnels and buried there. Right, right. And so Airbnb paid... 350,000 euros for the opportunity to rent the tunnels for the night, which ultimately went that those funds went to preserving the site. So the city of Paris used it to preserve the catacombs. Okay, well, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. That makes sense. Have you been to the Paris catacombs? I have not. Yeah, I have. I have. And how was it? It was super creepy, actually. Mm -hmm. You walk in and it's, you know, all underground tunnels and there's like these side caves that are just stacked with bones, femurs, arm bones, skulls. It's it's really definitely got a um, Halloween-y vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, my husband got really lightheaded and oh. really nauseated in there and he was just desperate to get out. I would go back personally and my daughter actually tried to go this past summer with her friend and... Um, it was sold out for oh. days upon days. She couldn't busy, get in. Yeah. Busy place. Very busy. Well, for anyone who feels they've missed out on the catacomb experience, fear not. <laughs> you may tell your daughter that. Okay. Uh, there are numerous haunted hotels and Airbnb properties around the world for those seeking a little extra thrill during their time away. Yeah. No, thanks. Guests have claimed at many of these accommodations to have heard scratching and screeching and toys being turning turning on by themselves and even some ghost sightings. Yikes. In the case of one particular property called the Carl Beck House in Penetanguishing, Ontario, Guests who can stay in, I think I think it's one of two rooms, claim to have heard and seen a female ghost walking around and a young boy who hides in closets. Uh, nothing should be in your closet in a hotel room except for hangers yeah. and maybe a safe, yeah. not well, ghost boys. Add to that some unexplained footsteps, some doorknob rattling, oh like my people gosh. are trying to get into your room. I would freak out. If I saw that doorknob rattling, I would freak out, Walker. Just wait, there's more. Oh, God. (laughs) There's more. Some guests have even claimed to have had the experience of feeling like they're being tucked in at night. Oh, my God. Their feet touched and the covers ripped off in the middle of the night. I'm Uh, not kidding you. That is absolutely terrifying. I mean, I'm used to having the covers ripped off in the middle of the night, but it's by a living, breathing human who I call my husband. But if a ghost touched my feet or tucked me in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. I would lose it. Well, if being visited by the living dead is not your thing, but rather you prefer what the experience is like to be dead. Oh, yeah, uh, because that's something we all want. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's on my short list, but each to their own. If you're looking for this spooky one-of-a-kind experience, there is this really neat boutique hotel in Lewiston, Maine, where you can have this one-of-a-kind Halloween experience. And it's called the Inn at the Agora, where you can reserve the on-site crypt. Crypt? This- Did you say crypt? Yes, yes. And it's a highly rated hotel. So, you know, we're recommending you go take a peek. Okay. The hotel actually served as a rectory for a nearby church at one point. And there was a mortuary chapel with a crypt there, which held the remains of the original, the first pastor. Okay. Now, the body's no longer there. It was moved in 2009 to a nearby cemetery. But guests to the hotel can reserve the crypt. Um, And inside... They have a complimentary two-person pine coffin that you can actually go inside and unlimited horror films in case you wanted to watch some extra spooky films there. And the neat thing about it, if you're into this, I guess, on the east wall is the original um, vent that was in the crypt that allowed the gases from decomposing bodies to escape. Oh, so yeah. it really does have everything. Feature. So I guess if you ate something that night that didn't agree with you, it made you a little gassy. <laughs> you're, you're safe. You're, you're safe. all set up. <laughs> well, okay. they, they haven't actually heard... Um, they haven't thought of everything because there actually isn't a washroom in the oh. room. Yeah. So it the crypt is only licensed for entertainment purposes. So if you wanted that experience, you could rent the crypt, but you also have to rent a room at the inn. Okay. And you have to leave the crypt by 2 a.m. Okay. I think I would be out of there way earlier than that with no washroom. <laughs> yeah. And being scared. I know. Oh, I know. It. I, it's not my thing, but I'm sure a lo- it's a one-of-a-kind experience. I'm sure people will absolutely love it. For guests interested in it, they can continue on this spooky experience. The hotel actually offers uh, haunted tour packages, which can take you to Bangor, Maine, which isn't that far away, where Stephen King lived for over 40 years. That would be really awesome. I've always wanted to sort of see those gates that he has mm-hmm. on his property with the bats. It's super, I know, super I've spooky. I've seen photos of them. Yeah, yeah. It's very ominous looking. Yeah. Can you visit inside his? I don't know if you can go inside. I do know that he doesn't live there anymore. Oh, I believe okay. he's turned it into the archives for his work. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that's that hotel. But there's always a possibility, even if you're not seeking out this experience, that you could encounter, you know, some bad energy. Yeah. Or a spirit, right? Yeah, absolutely. I know that I've stayed in, well, I just told the story of one of them, but a a couple of haunted accommodations on vacation, and I was not. Looking yeah. for them. You you mentioned that you had an experience of bad energy. Was that at a hotel? It was about. It was. Um, it was a chateau in the Loire Valley that was turned into a hotel room, and I made the mistake of not booking a room, so we had to stay in the Belfry. Oh, it was the last room available. And I walked in and I didn't feel comfortable. First yeah. of all, bats in the belfry. There were no screens on the windows. <laughs> so, Yikes. But my husband was like, relax, it'll all be fine. Right. I didn't feel a great energy when I walked in there. And as soon as I walked in, I looked at the mantle in the fireplace and there was a statue of the Madonna and the baby Jesus. And the baby Jesus had had the head taken off oh my gosh I, I know I That's know a sign I, to leave I thought it was a really bad sign it yeah. made me extremely uncomfortable yeah. but uh yeah we were tired we ended up staying there after all but I have to say I did wear my glasses all night long oh my god <laughs> just in case just in case somebody tried keep, to rip your covers like off one eye open plus <laughs> my glasses I had to really make sure there was nothing walking around and we were fine yeah but I was uncomfortable for yeah. absolutely for sure yeah. If you are concerned about this happening, I do have a few little tips for you. Oh, good. I need them. Yes, yes. So apparently there are ways to avoid paranormal experiences in your hotel room. One of them, as I did allude to already, was booking your room in advance. Right. You really don't want to be at the last room available because that's usually the room that people are avoiding. Right. Right. Or the last one they'll give out. Right. At a hotel. So there's that. Um, 
Another thing you can do is knock before you enter. Oh. Spirits don't necessarily want you there. Oh. So, and if you knock and give them fair warning, sometimes they will leave. That's very nice. It's just polite to knock before you enter. Some people say it's helpful if there is a religious text, as there often is in hotel rooms, that you can open it up. Doesn't matter where, put it beside your bed. Okay. And that will be helpful. Okay. And you can also create a yin yang symbol for a peaceful environment in your room by placing one shoe down and one shoe with the sole facing up. Okay. Uh, this supposedly can confuse ghosts. Oh, interesting. And the last tip I have for yeah. you apparently, ghosts are attracted to moist environments. So leave the light on in your bathroom. They do not like light. Oh. If you leave the light off and there is a spirit there, they'll be more likely attracted to the wetness of the bathroom and the darkness. So oh. you're opening a little opening a little door there for them. Yeah. So keep the light on. Okay. You know what? I wonder that makes me think of scary basements. I know. Right? Like it we've does. seen a lot yeah, of scary basements. basements and in our in our other line of work. Mm-hmm. And you know, you do get that sort of negative vibe when you're down in those dank moist and I dark have been in a scary basement that I looked at once and there was a Halloween message written on the wall oh, that's right <laughs> where did it say again I can't remember I can't it was remember scary. But I was not comfortable yeah I it remember you calling me you were on your own yeah. and you oh my gosh old Victorian house and yeah it was, it was scary it was terrifying yeah well Okay, well, those are all really, really good tips. And I am going to like, I'm going to keep this little audio clip when I travel so that I can figure things out. Sorry, it's a little late for the last experience you had. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Walker. Yeah, definitely a little late. But you know what? Those spirits, I don't think, they, yeah. I don't, they would have looked at my shoes and said, okay, forget about it. They were just too, <laughs> too angry. Shoes over and threw yeah, them on the wall. Throw them, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Throw them around. Well, for next time. Next time, next keep time. that in your back pocket. Um, So are you ready to talk about clowns? and scary dolls now uh no I don't think I'll ever be ready to talk about clowns and scary dolls they are just not next year okay fine well I don't know about you but I am not going to be able to sleep tonight unless that bathroom light is on and my shoes are somewhere spooning each other there is a long-standing human fascination with the strange and the unexplained there's no shortage of paranormal television shows horror movies books and even now hotels that feed our need to be afraid Halloween is now a commercialized holiday, complete with lawn decorations, candy corn, and cheesy costumes, but those who fancy a good scare can extend the experience well beyond October 31st. From collecting oddities and visiting haunted destinations, to booking a crypt or a haunted hotel room, if it is ghosts and ghouls that float your boat, there is the right kind of terror-inducing experience out there waiting just for you. Thank you for joining us at Home and Abroad with your hosts, Harris and Walker. Follow us each week as we continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.